0: Good morning. morning. Happy New Year. Let's start with our reading, uh, scripture reading for the day from Genesis 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. What do you think the leading cause of death is in America? If immediately coming to your mind is such things as heart disease and cancer, you would be correct. Heart disease is number one, followed closely by cancer. A distant third is accidents. But research is beginning to tell us that there is a silent but deadly killer out there. It is quite probable the leading cause of death in America is, you ready for it? Loneliness. Loneliness loneliness. I know you're skeptical. Loneliness. One out of five Americans say they deal with persistent loneliness. Studies tell us that loneliness is more dangerous than heavy drinking and obesity. It's just as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. How can loneliness be deadly, you might ask? That's a great question. Our body is wired in such a way to tell us what we need. So if you feel a hunger pain, your body is telling you you need food, and yes, you can fast and do whatever you're going to do for a while, but if you ignore that for a long time, you're in deep trouble. Loneliness is that pain that we feel that tells us that we don't need food, we need relationship with other people. And if we ignore that for a long time, it can be deadly. As the body is studied, we're we're finding that when someone experiences loneliness – a hormone, a stress hormone, is released into the body that stays there until we come into contact with another human and have that loneliness eradicated. If we ignore that and that stress continues to build up, it can be devastating for our health. A BYU study said that on average, lonely people lose 15 years of their life. It is quite possible that loneliness is public health enemy number one medical professionals sociologists if you don't trust me google it when you get home are talking about this to such a degree they're calling it the loneliness epidemic how did this happen as we study society as we step back from the trajectory of where we are as an american culture we will see ourselves increasingly going solo becoming more independent We're at a pinnacle of people living by themselves, never have more people in our country lived by themselves. Our network, people that say they have a close family network, that is decreased by one-third. Only 8% of us say we know a neighbor and have a neighbor we can confide in. We're hosting 50% less than we used to. We used to find community in the workplace, and now workplaces are becoming automated, we're working from home so we don't have community there. We used to go out to a restaurant for community or go shopping even for community or go to the theater for community. Now we order our food through uh, Uber Eats and our packages through Amazon and we watch our movies on our smartphones by ourselves. And yes, technology is playing a role in the loneliness epidemic. I just read that on average, we touch our smartphones 2,617 times a day. You're like, that's not me. Yes, it is, you. The Millennials, if you're out there, hello, Millennials. We love you here at New Hope. You are the most connected, technologically savvy generation ever. And yet, guess who the loneliness generation is? millennials we have more virtual friends than ever but less surreal friends we are more connected than ever and more lonely than ever robert putnam he's a social scientist from harvard he wrote a landmark book 20 years ago in the year 2000 that was a runaway bestseller you may have heard of it it's called bowling alone and it resonated 20 years ago Because Putnam began to bring forth research and talk about the things everyone in society was feeling then, much more so now. His premise is, as our society has gotten more finances, more more wealth, more uh, financial freedom, more technological freedom, our social capital, our interconnectedness, our community, our friendships have gone downhill the study that he bases the title off of is more and more people were bowling in America, but less and less people were bowling in leagues. We are a nation bowling alone. Or fill in whatever thing you do if it's not bowling. We're likely doing that more and more alone. The word loneliness, the etymology of it, means to be cut off. It doesn't mean. The number of friends that we have or the number of people that are around us, I think many of us know what it's like in this room to be surrounded by people and have lots of relationships but be lonely in a crowd. Social scientists define loneliness as not having enough meaningful relationships as we would, as we would like to have. Not having enough meaningful relationships, relationships where we're fully understand, understood and, and known. We don't have enough of those relationships. Cigna Insurance Company just did a massive study. And by that definition, 50% of Americans say they're lonely. 50%. And we're not alone as a country. This isn't just an American issue. 41% of Brits say their closest companion is a pet. And indeed, the Brits just hired their first minister of loneliness, no joke. What does all this tell us? It tells us that we need each other, and that's what this seven-week series is all about. It tells us that we're not meant to be alone; that we are created for relationship. Turn with me to Genesis two. That's the passage I read at the top. We we don't study Scripture around here without context because we'll misunderstand it. So brief context: uh, the Bible is a story. Genesis one and two is the prologue to that story. If you've read prologues in any story, it just tells you the lay of the land. It kind of sets the stage for what's coming. It tells us who we're meant to be. Genesis one and two, as people. I don't know if you knew this, but there's two different creation accounts. There's a creation account in Genesis one. There's a creation account in Genesis two. Some people have issues with that. I'm here to tell you it's okay. Don't be troubled. Remember, we need to remember what kind of genre we're reading, and this is narrative. It's poetic narrative. These aren't contradicting stories. These are complementary stories. Genesis 1, if you read it, and do it this week, it's, it's like a panorama. It stands back from afar and looks, and God's this transcendent creator God that's creating the stars and the land and the birds. We get the kind of the, the big picture. Genesis 2, the story comes in as portrait mode, and it comes in and it focuses the camera on Humanity. God's literally got his hands in the dirt. And it's focusing on humanity. It's not only telling us that God created humanity, but why God created humanity. That God created humanity for relationship. Key verse, Genesis 2, uh, I think it's verse, let me get to it here, verse 8, verse 7, says this. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground automatically you women are like, what's going on? I'm not part of this story. So this is where our translation is inadequate, doesn't help us. Let me get nerdy a little bit here. The Hebrew word for man here is Adama, Adama. This word is used in Genesis 1 and 2. Whenever you see the word man, it's Adama. And it's literally translated the human. There's no gender yet. This is the, the human that God has created. Gender will be coming shortly, and then in Genesis 3, when there's two genders, God refers to Adam as Adam. That's the Hebrew word. There's no the anymore. You following me? What I'm saying is what I'm about to tell you about the human is true for men and women. And it's very, very important. So here we go. With Genesis 1, two competing narratives, but not contradictory. Genesis 1, God tells us panorama, that everything's good, everything's good, everything's good. There's a rhythm, there's a cadence to it. Genesis 2, portrait mode. Suddenly, in the Garden of Eden, something is not good. And what is that thing that's not good? Glad you ask. Genesis 2, 18a. This will be the foundational verse for our entire seven week series. It's really easy to memorize, it's like eight words. Here's what's not good in the Garden of Eden. It is not good for the human to be alone. It is not good for the human to be alone. The Hebrew word for alone, the English word means the same thing to be cut off from, like a a branch cut off from a tree or a limb that's amputated. It's not good for the human to be cut off. We're not meant to be alone, we're made for relationship. So, God comes in, says that, sees the lay land, says I'm going to fix the thing that's not good. So we're told that he comes on and does kind of a divine surgery thing. The text tells us he takes a rib. Again, not good translation. It's not the Hebrew word for rib. It's the Hebrew word for side, like the side of a building or the side of a temple. These are not scientific text, but this is the one scientific moment in the text where God splits the atom. Get it? Wow, come on. First service uh, was with me. Thank you. Thank you. My girls call that dad humor, and they, they don't want you guys to encourage encourage it. So anyway, on we go. That's a, That is essentially all put aside. What's it's it's a it's a clean split, it's a division where God takes it splits into and now we see gender. Now we see God one's a man, one is a woman. And the woman, we're told, the kind of new creation, that part of the division is called a suitable helper. This text has gotten tons of scrutiny. A lot of times women don't like it. Again, it's helpful to understand the translation. This word, suitable helper, ladies, to set your minds at ease, it's only used 15 times in all of scripture. Every time except this instance, it's used for God. This is not some kind of subservient, lesser than creation. The word is used for God it means the essential other. The essential other. This text is used a lot to talk about God's design for sex, God's design for marriage. I think there's worthy and significant things to be said about both those topics in this text. But there's a much greater point the author's trying to make. That the human, and that's all of us, that the human, it's not good that we're alone. That we were created for relationship. It's, it's wired into our very DNA. Now, as this series goes, I like, as I plan series, I like to have threads that go throughout the series. Things that we lay down at the beginning that we come back to and talk about. So I want to lay down three threads, three things as we go through the seven weeks that we're going to return to. And we'll return to this text again and again, kind of dipping back into it because it's such a formative text. Here are the three things. Number one, I was reading a, a book this past year on the Trinity. Probably not many of you read about the Trinity. It can kind of be boring, but I'm, I'm nerdy that way. I like it. And I, I came on up upon this line that staggered me when I read it. I'm a highlighter, so I like highlighted it a bunch of times. I'm like, that's, that's true. That feels true to me. And here's what the line. The author says, at the center of the universe, there is a relationship. I'm like, Yeah. Like, well, all these years of seminary, I've never really thought about it that way. But yeah. And we don't have time, don't have time forever to talk about the Trinity to really understand it because it's an exhaustive topic. But Christian tradition, the scriptures revealed to be God as a Trinity or a triune God. God's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but one God. And it can make our minds go, whoa. It's not contradictory. It's mysterious. And I personally, as an aside, I'm okay with that. Because if our understanding of God is in such a small box, we can explain everything about God, we've got an inadequate idea of God. I think there's going to be a ton of things about God because we're finite, he's infinite, that go, whoa, And this is clearly what God is revealed to be in Scripture. A trinity, a triune God. But here's what that author was bringing forth, that God is relationship. God is love, that's what we're told. Love is relational. The early church fathers, they were always trying to come up with ways to help people understand the Trinity. Uh, all of them are inadequate. We're never going to come up with a great analogy. This would be like, oh, that fully explains it. I, I get it. But I think we can kind of come at angles and come at sides to help us kind of glimpse, get pieces of it. And one of them, one of my favorite, it's a Greek dance. It's a Greek dance. It's called perichoresis perichoresis You can still find perichoresis at Greek weddings if you go to a traditional Greek wedding. And perichoresis is this. It's when there's not just two people dancing, but there's at least three, sometimes five, sometimes seven. Eight. And if you're really good at perichordesis, and probably that's not most of us here, but if you're really good in your race, it's staggeringly beautiful because everyone's locked in and they're in sync. And if you're watching it, they're, they're constantly touching and moving and tusting, and then it goes faster and faster and faster and faster to the point where if you're watching it, they become one. It's inadequate theologically, I understand that. But it's a beautiful little taste of what our God is. The dance of love that has existed for all of eternity. And the trying God could have been fine just not doing anything else. Just dancing in love forever. But the trying God is a God of love and wants to expand that love. And our journey, our story is being invited into the dance of love. The center of the universe is a relationship. We're not meant to be alone. We're made for relationship. Second idea that we'll thread throughout the series, that we were created to need more than God. Solitary confinement is something that, that we've used as a society and nations have used for, I don't know, forever it seems like. Increasingly solitary confinement as a form of punishment is coming under scrutiny. Some have called it torture. And you may ask, well, how can something that's that's not physically harming someone be torturous? Studies are showing that it's torturous physiologically and psychologically. One man was studied, his brain was studied, he was in solitary confinement off and on for 29 years. They found that solitary confinement literally reshapes your brain. The part of our brain that's in charge of learning and growth shrinks in solitary confinement. And the part of our brain in charge of fear and danger and anxiety, it expands, it gets bigger. I read a story recently of of one man who was in solitary confinement for a long time. And a, a prison guard came and was taking him out for something and roughly grabbed his hand and yanked him out and put handcuffs on him. And this man fell to his knees, just weeping like a small child. And he said, I forgot what it's like to be touched. Forgot. We're not meant to be alone. We're made for relationship. I came across an article uh, last week. Hannah actually uh, made me aware of it. So thanks, Hannah by a a Colorado therapist named Sam Jolman. He's a Jesus-following therapist. And the name of the article immediately drew me in. And and and, and the name of the article was, You Need More Than God. You Need More Than God. Sounds heretical, (laughs) doesn't it? So I'm like, I got to see what's going on here. The more I read it, I think Sam's right. And I think the idea that we need more than God is profoundly biblical. Sam makes the case... God could have done anything. God could have created us with no need for anything else but Him. But God chose to do it differently. God chose to create us in a world and drop us into a world. We need Him. Yes, that relationship is absolutely foundational. I'll talk about that next week. It's primary. But He created us in such a way to also need a relationship with others. Sam, uh, as part of his article, kind of wrote this. He said this was in his mind's eye from Genesis 2, the passage we read. I can't top it, so I'm just going to read it to you. And as I read it over you, just enter, just just think. This is a St. Ignatius thing where you kind of enter the text and you imagine it yourself. So I think Sam helps us. Imagine what that scene might have been like in in Genesis 2. Here's Sam writing. A man walks along a mountain path amidst towering aspens and pines. The tree cover here dances shadows around his feet. His pace is easy because he's really not trying to get anywhere. He closes his eyes and takes in a a deep tug of mountain air. That's what he's here for, the smell and these sights and these sounds and the company. Next to him is a kind of lumbering figure three times the man's size. Ominous maybe to us, but clearly not to his traveling companion. The two smile and laugh like old friends as they amble along. They are engrossed in conversation, stopping here or there to discuss the things they see. A herd of elk feeding high on a far meadow, this or that wildflower, the smell of pine pollen in the air. They're clearly close friends, intimates, we could say. This is Adam and God in the Garden of Eden as told in the storied origins of life in Genesis. Of course, infused with my Colorado imagination, God turns to Adam. You're lonely. Adam stops. There's a silence between them for a minute. Adam looks at God, looks away. God continues, I I get it. It's okay. Actually, it's, it's not okay. Is that what this is? Adam says, tapping his chest. Yes, God sighs, and it's not good. These words had never been spoken here. They would have been scandalous had they not come from the Almighty. How could something not be good here here is eden here is untouched paradise here is where everything was good that's what creation knew adam could still recall the grin on god's face the first day they met and the oh this is very good that followed his smile but now adam's eyes swell with tears he knows god is right but he can't bear the ache it brings and for the first time grief is known in eden Okay, wait a minute, you say tears in Eden? I don't think they were tears of pain, so to speak, but tears of longing. And there's a difference. Like, suddenly the desire was so strong and so yearning, it just spilled over. However, Adam handled this moment. We know the perfect world was not perfect yet, and it's God's move. It's not good for you to be alone. Here, let me do something about that. Okay, stop right there. Adam had God in paradise like none of us have ever had God. With no sin and nothing to stand in the way of intimacy and vulnerability, no fear, no shame, no heartbreak, no angry eyes, no silent treatment. He never once felt distant from God. And of course not. They shared everything. These walks and talks in the wild world never ended. And though I'm sure they shared times of silence as good friends can, there was never a goodbye between them. Talk about a quiet time on steroids. He had God completely. And still, Adam was lonely and alone by God's very admission, which means God wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean, God could have done it another way. He's God. He could have done anything he wanted. He didn't even have to create us. But God chose to create us to not only extravagantly need him, That's primary and foundationally, but also to need one another. What if that longing and that pain and that loneliness we feel points to God, draws us into the intimacy we're supposed to experience with others that are created in His image? As He (sighs) breathed life in us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that were there at that moment, Scripture tells us, and breathed life in us. We're meant to create to experience that trying God in relationship with one another. I've, I've dealt with this uh, in my own journey with the Lord, and certainly as I've, I've led people and pastored for over 20 years, and this really, it really clicked for me. Because there's people out there, there's a lot of us that are, that are lonely, and, and a lot of us that are lonely but in relationship with God, and we get that from the church of like, oh, you know, it's okay you don't have friends and you're not in community, God's enough. And it just feels like a slap to the face. Not only are they lonely, now they feel ashamed over their inadequate relationship with God. Is <laughs> that helpful? Well, they could have a very vivacious relationship with God and still have a God given desire that's not being met to be in community with one another. Because here's the truth, and you know this is the truth. And God's created it this way. As incredible as God is, as everything His Spirit can do for us, everything He's bringing us into in kingdom come, God's not going to answer your text. God's not going to answer the phone when you call. God's not going to go on your Facebook account and write a comment and like your post. God's not going to go out for a meal with you. God's not going to be your buddy to go to a movie and laugh. God's not going to be able to hug you. And laugh at your jokes, even if they're not good. And wipe away your tears one day, but not now. He's chosen to create a world where he invites all of us into that. That we're his body, that we're his hands and his feet, and that's our privilege and our honor. And it's not something we need to be ashamed of. It's something we need to own, and we need to challenge one another to step into. Relationships matter. They matter because God created them to matter. The Alameda County study was a nine-year study with 7,000 people. And they were studying kind of good health and what creates good health and good diets, how that fit. And they were astounded at what they discovered. They discovered that people with bad eating habits were healthier than people with good eating habits that had no friends. So bad, bad eating habits with friends is better than, than, than really healthy eating habits, nothing but kale and no friends. They, 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 they summed it up like this. It's healthier to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. I mean, it's staggering. It's true. It's a, a nine-year study, 7,000 people. Relationships matter. The American Medical Association, I hope they paid people for this, but they infected 276 people with a common cold. And then they studied them. And again, the findings blew them away. They found that people with community, with friends, with other relationships, did four times better fighting off the common cold. They discovered snotty people don't need Kleenexes, they need friends. I mean, that's my own. But get them a Kleenex anyway, that's, that's kind. Relationships matter. The, the Harvard uh, study of adult development just, just got completed. 75 year study. 75 years, and here's how they summed up all the data. You ready? Good relationships keep us happier and healthier, period. That's it. They were studying what leads to human flourishing, what leads to happiness. They expected to find achievement and money and freedom and democracy. All those things played a role, but didn't come close to the key founding that regardless of where you were on any of those things, if you had community and you had healthy relationships, you flourished. King Solomon was supposedly, other than Jesus, the wisest person to ever live. In Ecclesiastes, he writes this. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business, for two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. It's almost like Scripture knows what it's talking about. We aren't meant to be alone. We're made for relationship. Point three, there will be a thread throughout this seven-week series. Our mission here, what we're called to do as a church, is to follow Jesus and share his love. We cannot follow Jesus alone. Please hear that. We cannot follow Jesus alone. Follow Jesus is not a solo endeavor. From the beginning of our story, we see that. God does everything in groups. He does everything in communities. He calls forth this family that then becomes a nation. That nation has 12 tribes. And out of those tri- 12 tribes comes God incarnate himself, Jesus, the Messiah. Who? What's the first thing Jesus does? And he'll be a model for us in this series of how to do life in community. Jesus calls forth 12 disciples. Just read the Gospels. Jesus did everything in community. Yes, he took time for solitude, but solitude is totally different than loneliness. Solitude is a discipline and a choice to remove ourselves from people for a little bit so we can deepen and enhance our relationships with others. Jesus dies, he's risen, and then he calls forth this entity, this group, us, called the church. The Greek word means the called out ones. And we get these snapshots in the book of Acts, which is a historical book, of how this church was operating. And we see they lived together. They did everything together. They, they ate together and washed dishes together. They, they gave together. They sang together. They, they studied scripture together. They prayed together. They served together. They changed the world together. We're not meant to be alone we created for relationship. We are better together. One of the big challenges in Scripture, try to find the singular. It's super hard to find the word I in Scripture. There's tons of plural, tons of we, tons of us. We were created for relationship. We're, we're not meant to be alone. I, I can't tell you how, how difficult that reality is for this guy. Some of you know me well, some of you barely know me at all, so I'll be a little vulnerable here at the beginning of our series. I am a a loner, and that may surprise some of you. I'm a loner on two counts. One, I'm an only child, and All kidding aside, not all all only children are the same, please don't do that to us. But there is an aspect, there is a reality to being an only child that creates independence. You have to kind of figure it out a little bit. So yes, only children are more independent. So there's one. I'm also a pretty fierce introvert, which may surprise you, because I'm often out front with my coffee, like, hey, happy 2020. You should see me in the afternoon, because it crushes me. My, My tank is like, whoa. And here's how you determine whether you're an introvert or extrovert, here's a free tip. Do, does being around people, lots of people, fill your tank or deplete your tank? You don't have to answer. For me, my tank is utterly depleted. I give you folks everything I got. My poor family, right, when I get home on Sunday afternoon. So I'm an only child, I'm an introvert, and then it's just, it's just messy to work with other people, isn't it? I tend to just do it better by myself, you know? People are annoying a lot of times. None of you folks, but people in general can be really annoying. So for all those reasons, I've always struggled with this. Early on in my ministry, I was a youth pastor for many years. A church was large and growing. And by every measurement, the youth youth ministry was flourishing. Numbers, conversions, kids liking it, kids bringing their friends. As I was studying whether I was doing good as a youth pastor, in this context, I was flourishing. Outside of that, I was an abject failure. (laughs) Because I didn't have any relationships with the other staff. I cared only for the youth ministry. Didn't really care what else was going on. And I was blind to it. I was blind. And finally, there was an intervention of sorts. My boss for 18 years, kind man, loving man, I knew he loved me. He sat down with me and said, yes, John, this is going great right here, the thing you're in charge of. This, not so good. And if this doesn't get better, you probably won't be here for the long haul. As a type A person, I was just like, oh. I didn't understand. I got defensive. I got angry. But God's grace, it was like smelling salts to me. I began to wake up to the need for other people, to the model of doing life in community. I played uh, competitive basketball for four decades. I wouldn't call what I played competitive anymore by any stretch of the imagination. But I always loved playing one-on-one basketball, and I was really good at it. There was many years I didn't lose to anyone. I had kind of a quirky game, and it was odd, but I would win because I liked it because I was in total control. I didn't have to worry about anybody else boxing out for me or rebounding or hitting a shot. I could do it. Just get out of my way. And when I played pickup basketball, 5 on 5, I was an average player because I wanted to play like I played with one on one. Like, get out of my way. <laughs> Clear the floor for me. And I had a good friend around this time, my boss was doing the intervention, sit down with me. And I don't think the two of them had talked. I think this was the Lord. And he said, John, I don't know how to say this, but you do life like you play basketball. And I was like, huh, oh. again? <laughs> It's one of those moments where you don't want to hear that, right? You want to be defensive to that. But by God's grace, I knew he was right. By God's grace, it's now been a 20-year journey. It is not easy for me. It's not natural for me. Where I'm fighting for community. Because I believe in it. Not only is it biblical, but I believe we weren't meant to be alone. I believe deeply we were made for relationship. I believe deeply that we are better together. I expect, and I crowded this after the first service, there's, I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of me out there. And this is one of my hopes for this series, is that it would be encouraging and not crushing to you. My, my fear in this, giving this message today is for those of you who are lonely out there, like, great, I'm lonely. Thanks for telling me how terrible it is for my health. I I don't want that to be a thing. And and forgive me if that's the case. That's why I told you I'm I'm in it with you. I'm in it with you. What I want you to grasp is a vision, a vision for how we're created, a vision for how we're we're, we're meant to live, that this series, and we're going to do a lot of practical stuff, like how do you make friends, how do you keep friends, and we're going to get into it, would be a catalyst for our community. Because as your pastor, let me just tell you this straight up, if church here coming to New Hope is you just coming once or twice a month and staying on the periphery out here, that's not church. I'm failing if that's the case. We're failing. We're meant to be family. We're meant to be community. And it's hard work. And I'm in it with you. That's what I want you to hear. We, uh, Paul talked earlier about this rooted experience. Let me just return to that. We, we're not making money off this just know that we're not gay to get anything from it our staff went through it churches across america have gone through it key group of leaders at New Hope have gone through it we believe in it we don't want to just tell you we're facing a loneliness epidemic and do nothing about it this is an awesome bridge to get in relationship yes it's 10 weeks yes it's a step of faith as we'll learn relationships and community take time there's no end around I just want to encourage you strongly to think about it. At least go talk to somebody about it. Maybe you've been feeling that in your heart, like I need to do something in this new year to do that. Here's a great first step. Go sign up for Ruta. Go check it out. Go watch the video. What do you think this, the largest organism is in, in the world? I always like these like, random trivia things. It, you probably won't be able to guess the largest organism in the world is this. It's much larger than this. I just thought that was a really beautiful poetic picture. It's an aspen grove. It's called uh, the Trembling Giant. It's outside Fish Lake. Utah, it, it weighs 6,600 tons, and it's 80,000 years old. And aspen groves, if you didn't know this, are interconnected. Their root systems are interconnected. They feed from the same water. They share it. They feed from the same nutrients from the soil they're sharing. And that's why it's 80,000 years strong, because it's connected together. And that is the biblical picture of community, of church, that our root system is Jesus. It's his work on the cross for us. It's his blood. And because of that, the writer of scripture call us family. And we're meant to do life and community. If we do, we will be stronger than ever. Because we're not meant to be alone. We we are made and created for relationships. We are absolutely better together. And I can't wait to explore that with you for the next seven weeks. Let me pray over us. God, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you you didn't dip down into the dirt and grab a clod and blow your your life into us and then see us run and then just step away and wash your hands on us. But you came here in the flesh. You taught us what it's like to do life together and do communion. This guy right now talking needs your help. It's not natural to me. And I need your help as we claw our way to to the the pathways and to the the plan and the vision of who we are created to be. That we're not meant to be alone. We're created for relationship. That we're better together. Help us, Father, as a local community. May, May 2020 be the year that we become more of the community you're calling us to be. Have mercy on us, Lord. Help us in that quest. We pray in Christ's name. All God's people said.